You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 148. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcast. And uh, leave us a review if they allow for it. All right, we got a website at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, <laughs> examples, discussion, and a lot more. And uh, you can send feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. And with that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Josie ACK. <laughs> and I'm Michael Outlaw. You didn't want to spell that? Uh, you know, I mean, I could. Uh, how would you spell that? If I was using the Moonlander, I think it's the. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Educative.io. Learn in-demand tech skills without scrubbing through videos, whether you're just beginning your developer career, preparing for an interview, or just looking to grow your skill set. And X Matters. Keep your digital services up and running from IT to DevOps to emergency notifications. Everyone needs speed, automation, and reliability when things go wrong. All right. And hey, this week we're talking about the uh, Octoverse because 2020 is almost over and we're just kind of phoning it in. So apologize <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> I'm tired, y'all. <laughs> You're not the only one, man. It's, it's going to be amazing. Hang tight. Uh, but first, I want to mention a couple things coming up in 2021. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be presenting at the San Diego Elastic Meetup, which is like on the Elastic website and everything. Very official. It's going to be very great. It's going to be huge. Uh, and so we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, also... Super important, the Game Jam is coming up. We're, uh, we're over 30 signups now. So this thing is going to be, is going to be lit as, as the, uh, the teenagers say nowadays. And that's, uh, coming up on the 21st to 24th and the, the Alaska game meetup is the 19th. So I'm going to have a, a big, awesome week that week. And, uh, you can always go to codingblocks.net slash events to see everything that we've got scheduled. Very nice. And hey, uh, guess what? <clears throat> If you uh, if you like to browse the YouTubes and uh, you know all the tweeches that are out there, is that what it's called? Am I am I doing this right? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, uh, Jay Z and I have been uh, streaming on Twitter and YouTube, uh, more Twitter, I guess, here as of late. Uh, but Wait, all things you mean Twitch. Twitch? What Twitch. did I say? Twitter. Oh yeah, that's where my joke failed me. <laughs> yeah, it took it too far. It took it too far. Yeah. Oops. Uh awkward. But yeah. Um so Twitch. Twitch is the one that we were streaming on. And uh yeah, so so we did uh, a couple weeks ago we did a local Kubernetes development with Helm and Scaffold and then uh this past weekend we did um we we you we you called it debugging C sharp with Kubernetes and Scaffold, but uh, we really got sidetracked into customize more than anything else. This so hard. I think you know I think we had talked about possibly bringing in metrics and Jaeger in the next one and tracing. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll do that. We might get totally sidetracked. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, Joe mentioned slash events before. If you're not, if you haven't already checked out, you can check that out. You can find out like when 
uh, you know, things that are happening in the coding blocks universe. Um, and, uh, we'll have some links to the past episodes. They're all up on the YouTube channel. If you're not already a subscriber there, smash that button. Oh, wait. Uh, no, I'm not that guy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, subscribe there on, on YouTube so that you can see all the YouTube videos, but, uh, or otherwise you can just go there and find it. Codingblocks.net slash YouTube. All right, and with that, I will run on to the, uh, the episode. And today we're going to be talking about the uh, state of the Octoverse, Octoverse <laughs> survey from GitHub. And it's got some really interesting stuff in it. But uh, I've only heard that because I haven't actually looked at these yet. And I did just go to the website now. So we're going in fresh. And it does look like there's you can download three in-depth reports or you could scroll and see some highlights. Which one do we want to do? I think scrolling makes a lot of sense, but first, can somebody please explain to me what the Octoverse is? Okay, so I saw this movie. This is where Spider-Man, in one, he he dies, uh, or he's thought to be dead, but then in another Spoilers. parallel, uh, <laughs> he's he's a pig. Um, it's really awkward how that happened. And then another one, he's a kid. I think that's that, – am I right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. And, uh, okay. Dr. Os- Octopus was awesome. So, yeah. uh, there's yeah. that. Uh, yeah, great, great movie. But, uh, so that was the Spider Verse, though. <laughs> Wait, I thought that's what we were talking about. Did I prepare uh, for the wrong show again? Yeah, that was, uh, that's our other podcast. <laughs> uh, the, the Octoverse, um, I don't know. I guess it's just GitHub's cute name for their survey every year. Is that, hmm. is that it? <laughs> So instead of the the Stack Overflow developer survey, it's the GitHub Octoverse. Yeah, and GitHub, much like Stack Overflow, has some very interesting and unique stats that they have access to that uh, you know that you can't get otherwise. Like uh, I don't know, I guess we'll see we'll see what they are. But I've heard uh, these are a few of the, the highlights that I've heard, and I think they're going to be very interesting to talk about. Cool. Let's do so it. what do you say we we just scroll through this page and we can da- you click that thing that says download all three reports in case we want to dive in on any numbers or see any more. Sounds good. I did download them. All right, me too. All right, so I'm scrolling. I'm not, I'm not reading. Okay, so the first page. Uh, say let's look back at the code and communities built on GitHub this year. And the first thing that I uh, see here is also the first thing I'd heard about. 56 million total developers on GitHub. That's a lot. That's way more than I expected. Now, how many of those developers are have like multiple accounts? That was what I said. I have like two <laughs> or three. Yeah, right. Because I do too. Yep. So I'm looking. Yeah, but even then. Okay, so let, let's say that you have two. Let's, let's, let's just go crazy and say that everybody has two. That's still 30 million people on there. Like that's that's... A healthy chunk of people. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You know. I'm seeing estimates of like 2018, 23 million, 2019, 26, 4 million, 2023, 27 million. I have a hard time imagining every single developer has a GitHub account. I also have a hard time imagining every developer has two. So it's a, it's a very interesting stat. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. But what's more interesting though <clears throat> is the 72% of Fortune 50 companies use GitHub Enterprise. Yeah, who doesn't? I want to I want to know. Not, not to use. But you know, I mean that is really surprising like 
uh, GitHub Enterprise, it's not just GitHub. It's not just their employees using GitHub. It's GitHub Enterprise. They are paying money to GitHub every month. Well, well, here's the interesting thing about that too, though, is that that is the marketing speak way of saying 36 companies <laughs> use GitHub Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. That's good true. point. Yeah, that's very good. 72% sounds a lot better, though, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't yeah. it, though? I was I like, mean, wow, 72%. Like, holy cow, of the Fortune 50 companies. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what, though? You guys remember, like, even back, you know, several years ago when we were all talking about, well, where are we going to put our repos, right? Like, and we actually had things. We were talking Mercurial. We were talking all kinds of things. And and really, nowadays, GitHub is, like, sort of, like, status quo for a lot of things. I mean, some people go to Bitbucket or some of the other ones or, you know, or or Azure if you're in the Microsoft world. But... But who hasn't heard of Git? You know? Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, too often, though, people s- think of Git and GitHub synonymously, but they're True. not the same. Like, True. GitHub is just right. a service on top of Git. Right. But the but the name does have some strong pull power there, right? Well, it does, but and that's why I threw out GitLab when you were listing all the other ones, because it, it doesn't get the same amount of love. That uh, I mean, it did for a minute there. There was maybe like a spike when Microsoft bought uh, GitHub, and people were joking around about like, "Okay, well, I guess I'm ditching GitHub. Time to move." Yeah. So check this out. So uh, they do list this number as 56 million developers, but then the first key finding, if you look at the actual report, is they say that GitHub is more than just for software developers, and they mention that there's other people who use GitHub that don't identify necessarily as a software developer, like maybe they're a designer who uploads images or a data scientist or someone else who doesn't consider themselves like a, a full-on software developer. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so interesting that they use the terminology there and not users or customers or something. Hmm. So you, you're you saying that that 56 million includes people that aren't necessarily developers? They say 56 million developers, but then they go on to say that it's not just developers. Right, So okay. Yeah, so I don't think there's a clear answer on it. Now, here, here's the here's the, the one really questionable number. 60 million new repositories created in the last year. That's a lot. How many of those are simple like, hello or world? Forks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or what about a fork? Isn't a or fork? Or forks, yeah, or forks. Oh, yeah, especially with forks. That would be so easy to do. With GitHub. Yeah. Well, in GitHub, that's how you actually do branching, you know, when you're trying to merge them back in. Well, not branching, but the workflows. Well, 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 off somebody else's. Yeah. yeah, If you're trying to contribute back to a project, a lot of times you fork that project, make your changes, then you do a pull request from your fork back into the main one. Understood. Yep. And and that was the workflow that we talked about um, in episode 90. Is it? How, How do you remember these episode numbers? How do you not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you not, Alan? Right. Uh, so yeah. guess Episode how many. Episode 90, comparing Git workflows. How many forks are? do you think there are of Kubernetes? Ooh. <clears throat> that matter? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how many, how many developers do they have? How many people have uh, committers? Let's see. How many contributors to Kubernetes? Yeah, contributors. I'm going to say 5,000. I have no clue how to. Oh, uh, the f- contributors! There are almost three thousand comp- contributors. 
Nice. Yeah. That's actually so, a lot. And, uh, you know, you got to imagine most of those people are working through forks, right? They just work on their own and they pull a crest in. So forks, there are 26,000. Oh, so they did break forks apart from new repositories? I don't know. Uh, he's just talking about Kubernetes. Yeah, I just went to go look to see, like, just how big, like, you know, one repository, like, how, like, I, I picked the biggest repository I could think of and, like, look to see, like, just, you know, how many forks there were to see what that what that ratio was like. Hmm. Man, I actually like this next bit on the page here, the geographical distribution of the active users. I'm sort of surprised, to be honest with you. If you guys looked at these numbers, they're saying in North America, that's 34% of the active users. Asia is 30.7%. So within, you know, 3%-ish, Europe's at 26.8%. So again, it's right up there, right? So a third of the world is basically, or no, no, I'm sorry, not a third. Over 90% of the contributors are North America, Asia, and Europe. Which I guess kind of makes sense. Um, South South America is not very high. Africa is super low. Oceania is pretty low. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think I expected North America to be way higher on the list for some reason. I, I guess because most languages are, are in English, I guess, is kind of why I was thinking that maybe. But I don't know. Pretty high. So our podcast stats like skew very heavily towards America and UK. Or not, sorry, not UK, uh, just like Europe. Um, right. We've never done well in Asia. I haven't looked in a couple of years, but like Asia was just, just a black hole for us. And I never, I never knew why I've been seeing these numbers. It's like, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. I, I was definitely surprised to see that result. Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, what do they consider Russia? Like wh- what do they consider Asia? That's Asia would be China, too. Russia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's Asia. And so. India. And India. Right. Okay, yeah. That would so be, I, that's what I would assume it would count as. My geography is terrible, so I need to look at our stats again to see what I was – I think I was like specifically thinking China and Japan I don't and know Korea, if you remember. Which is not. We've talked about my geographic capabilities here, and they are amazing on this show. Yeah. Uh, where was it that we talked about where uh, Gail was from? Uh, I have no idea. <sighs> Whatever. If you, <laughs> come on, I'll, I'll look it up. I got nothing. I don't, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Really? When yeah. We met, um, I can't remember his last name right now, uh, from Postsharp. Dude, mm. I don't know. Remember we met him. Did we lose Joe? We met oh, Gail. His video's frozen. And, and I, tried to des- I tried to describe where he was from, and I was like horribly wrong. You guys don't remember this? Okay. Well, then I was incredibly correct in my description, and I take yeah. back all that I just said a moment ago. Uh, where are we at? <laughs> so, uh, uh, 1.9, and I did look. I looked to see if they mentioned like the breakdown of those new repositories. I couldn't find it in the uh, the breakout. Um, the breakout is pretty gushy, I would say. There's a lot of like text kind of explaining the numbers and like – how GitHub makes the world better and stuff. It definitely feels like marketing. Oh, I think we lost Alan, but uh, we'll keep trucking along and hopefully he'll rejoin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll just uh, have to decide whether to admit him or not as the uh, as the administrator here. Ha 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 ha! 
All right. This is where Joe and Michael, we take over. We're going to go live streaming now. We're going to take it out to Twitch. Bah, 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 bah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to now we're going to uh, be talking about our favorite uh, 80s metal bands. Yeah. Or the uh, rest of the show. And uh, let, let's continue on with our application and we'll, we'll uh, you know, add in some Jaeger and some metrics to it. And, uh, you yeah, know, when Alan great. comes back, we'll stop doing that stuff and we'll go back to the other stuff. He may not be coming back. I don't know. Maybe he <laughs> lost the internet. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess we just keep going. Yeah. The show must go on, Joe. All right. So we got uh, 1.9 billion contributions added in the last year, uh, which is quite a bit more than the uh, number of developers. So I guess you can get an average right there. If we did 1.9, uh, how many zeros is in a billion? Divided by 56 million. Uh, carry the one. So that would be 33 uh, commits, uh, th- sorry, 33 contributions per developer on average, which is quite healthy, really. That's cool. That sound. that sounds, hmm, I guess maybe I would have thought higher, but maybe how, how many did you say again? One 33 one, per, and I figure there's a lot of accounts that are just basically idle, but, but how many commits did you say that was per? Oh, um, per was 33 per average per uh, developer. 33 commits. Yep, per year. That seems maybe kind of low, but then I'm also like, yeah, I guess like I'm not the most active person on GitHub. Yeah, I wonder, like I feel like I'm pretty active. Uh, I don't know how to tell how many contributions I've had this year though. It's it's also weird too because they are mixing some stats kind of. Like, cause the whole GitHub enterprise conversation, you know, got, got mixed in there. So I wonder, like, I'm assuming yeah. that this is just github.com and not, they're not also including like, uh, you know, if you had, um, your own private, you know, your own on-prem install of GitHub enterprise. So I will tell you, I've had, uh, 307 contributions this year. So you're like and, 10 times the average. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. I'm a 10 X developer. So that makes sense. That totally adds up. Yeah. And I'm living yeah. vicariously through you. So I think, uh, there, you know, that I get some of that, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. That makes now, more sense. 2018. I did almost eight, 800. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, so, and that's like, and like, I, I am unhealthily active on GitHub. Like I'm, Creating new repositories all the time, so I would think, yeah, that's a that's a good indicator. And there's some people that probably work on GitHub every day, you know, eight hours a week, whatever, or eight hours a day, forty hours a week. So I mean, I, they must just have thousands and thousands and thousands. That really brings that average up. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking though, like 1.9 billion. It just seemed, like if you had if you have 56 million active, then I would expect. 56 million active users, then 1.9 billion, I think sounds low. So I think that just goes to show that, uh, that 56 million number, like a lot of those are inactive is what I would, yeah, I would guess. I and that. I think that your, your 33 average commits goes to prove that. Yeah. I like that. Um, <clears throat> we got a fun one coming up. Yeah. Well, I was about to get to that. The language top languages over the years. Yep. So, hands down, top language, 
consistently on their chart here, JavaScript. Yeah. Now, are we surprised? Who called it? JS everywhere. Who called it? Oh, oh. I called it in like 2018 that JavaScript was going to be hot. <laughs> in 2018? Yeah, I said, it's here to stay. Yeah, you, like, you, Hello, you, world. <laughs> Pay attention to JavaScript. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, codingblocks.js, I don't know uh, if, you, if you're aware. Yep. Um, I, it was a phase I went through for a little while there. And then, and then there's been the rise of Python. Yeah. And the fall of Java. Yeah. So, I mean, th- those, those were two interesting metrics. So, uh, I guess in 2019, Python overtook, uh, well, it's hard to tell from their drawing. Like, are they trying to show that in the year of 2018 is when it, you know, it was in the trans, it was, crossing over Python was passing over Java in that year or what, but yeah, at least by 2019, according to their drawing, it looks like Python was officially ahead of Java. Yep. And it stayed there. And Java was like rock steady number two until then. So this is the first time we've seen Java fall and uh, you can see Python's been climbing ever since they started doing this in 2014. Yeah. And look at TypeScript out of nowhere, out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, like literally out of nowhere in 2017, we have TypeScript show up and then it shoots up to number seven and then it shoots up to number four, just boom, boom. Yeah. And, and o- over sh- shooting PHP. So I guess PHP is like, I guess, uh, all the WordPress developers in the world, you know, because there was that stat that we had where like half the internet runs on WordPress, right? But I yeah. guess WordPress developers aren't committing to GitHub. Yeah, that's very, yeah, it's very possible. I, I do wonder, like TypeScript. Like I, you tell me, like someone's working in TypeScript, I automatically assume Angular. I know that's not the case. You can do it with pretty much anything. But I, I mean, this number is incredible to me. So I, I don't that's know what to think point, of that. I, like, is that taken off in React circles? That's a that's a really good point because with uh, Angular, it is kind of like you know, a built-in with the latest Angulars, right? You know, version of Angular. It's it's TypeScript is like heavily embedded into it. Yeah. So I, I don't so know. That's I would probably the reason. You, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, if you have any ideas, you know, always uh, we got those comments uh, open. So yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about that other than like go TypeScript. Congrats. Now, are you surprised by C-sharp? In this, I'm surprised in this it was chart. so low in 2014. Yeah, right. So, yeah, C sharp now number five. It's healthy. It's climbed over the last couple of years. It did it was at number five in 2016. That went it down number, briefly. One that came back up. Number eight in 2018. It had C plus plus and C were ahead of C sharp in 2014. Well, yeah, and that that's the thing that's so surprising. Like really, like C plus plus was a more popular language to use in 2014 than C-sharp? In open source? Well, I, I know that C-sharp That's, did not have go. a reputation for open source, you know, very business heavy. And so that, and that's a good thing I should say about C-sharp in general is like they have been so focused on the enterprise and Java too for so long. So even though like someone could see like 
JavaScript, uh, you know, number one reigning supreme, you might think that it's like just what everyone's doing. It's really, it's really hard to tell because there's a whole lot of companies that are not on the grid here. Well, okay. So here, here's where I was going to go with this though, is that, uh, you know, C and C++ might've been heavier. Cause if you think about like open source communities, you think about like Linux kernel, yeah. right? You don't think C sharp right now. I realize yep. that, you know, the Linux kernel has its own, uh, own repo, but there is a mirror on, uh, on GitHub. Yeah. I was kind of wondering, it's like, Hey, GitHub new thing, new kid on the block, 2014, uh, free public hosting, uh, open source stuff. And like, you know, maybe there's a ton of people that were paying for a subversion that were like, Oh, snap. There we are. So maybe that's part of that. So maybe there was like a you know a big initial kind of jumping on the bandwagon there. I don't I don't know what happened there. Yeah. So I mean, interesting. And then talk, you know we were going back to the the rise and falls. Like, look at the fall of Ruby. Yeah, that's sad. Like it's just not even a thing anymore. It's down there. It's hanging out with Objective C. Yeah, like, I mean it's nice to still on the ten, top ten. So if you're a Ruby, you know Ruby Rubyista or whatever, then uh, you know don't be scared. You're not gonna, you know, suddenly lose your jobs. You know you're still in the top ten when you're still doing good, but you know your your island's shrinking. Shouldn't well, I mean? Shouldn't they just be like a jewelist? You know, a jewelist. Yeah, yeah, a jeweler, something like but, that. But you know, there's also there's some things like um, was it Elixir that's based on Ruby? I might have that wrong. I forget. There's something that's kind of built I didn't on Ruby it was that might based be based on Ruby. Yeah, and saying like you could also make the argument too. It's like, well, if you combine TypeScript and JavaScript, would it be like super way crazy high over everything else? Huh? I guess it doesn't really tell us, uh, <clears throat> kind of relatively like how much bigger is JavaScript than Python. Well, here's here's another one. Talk, going back to the rise and fall, though, um, 2014 Objective C falls off the chart altogether. Uh, yeah, drats. And Swift doesn't take its place. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? So that that was kind of the interesting one there. I, or at least yep. I thought so. <clears throat> Shell has main st- maintained nine. That's funny. They went up briefly and then came back down. <laughs> it was really popular there for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of was like Docker coming back around. Like It, it makes sense to kind of have more Shelly type stuff because you don't have to really worry about where it's running so much. And then poor Ruby, number ten. Yeah, I I, I I don't know. I, I can't I can't speak uh you know really anything of Ruby because I just never had any experience with it. I mean I, I've heard good things, but yeah, you can, I'm sure you can live out the rest of your career doing just fine in Ruby. You know, so uh, don't don't hate me, but uh, whenever you see like a, a trajectory like this, it's oof, you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's good information for you to have. Now, do you think though? Okay. Okay. So let's, let's take that for a moment then. And let's play devil's advocate here because C sharp went from, uh, position eight to five yep. on here, but Microsoft bought GitHub and Microsoft became heavy contributors yeah, to open, to source, open source yeah. and the community. So, do you think that that has anything to do with why C Sharp has had you know may, started making its jump over the years? Now, in fairness, I mean, since like what 2017, 2016, like it was already in that 
five, you know, six to five spot. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, you know, Entity Frameworks up on GitHub. Uh, yeah, a lot of top top tier libraries for C sharp. Well, so here's my answer. Uh, no, I don't think that's a factor at all because I'm biased. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I like it. So I, I think it's legit. Okay. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. So uh, what about like finding the balance between work and play? Did you go yeah, through this one? This. Nope. Neither did I. So we'll skip it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I thought that was just going to be like more numbers on the thing, but I guess you had to like actually download the the report for that one. Yeah. So bring it out. They they do say that, uh, there are 34% more pull requests when teams automate the workflows. And, uh, I think again, they don't really do great info at, uh, there's no like specifics of like, what do you mean by automating the workflow? Do you mean automatically merging or like, what does that mean? Hey, um, real quick before I answer that. Uh, Alan is, uh, back on oh, the hey. internet now. <laughs> uh, he, I guess you want me to admit him? Yeah. Well, maybe, I mean, we don't have to, it's yeah. okay. Like, you know what? It's probably fine if we don't bring Alan back. We, we got this. We're doing just fine. Yeah. I don't know. It looks like Alan is going to be calling in from his phone. Yeah. He looks a little And, picked. um, it looks like maybe the internet there doesn't quite work the same way it works everywhere else. Dude, uh, so I'm pretty certain that somebody hit a a pole out here somewhere. Yeah, because there's, there's sirens going off everywhere. Your audio and sounds totally different, so you must be dialed in from your phone for the audio. I've been through the phone for the audio, but I'm still recording on the H6, so we're good there. But but yeah, I think I think somebody... Somebody ran into something, and so everything's <laughs> down now. <laughs> you might want to turn off your video, sir. Yeah, I, I probably should do that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if. Oh, there we go. I yeah, think I'll stop video. Remember that project where FaceTime was going to like uh, provide internet by uh, balloons? Do you remember that? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We need yeah. to send that over to Alan's house. Have some FaceTime balloons hanging out over his house, so we can get yeah. some internet over there. Yeah, man. I, I will I will try not to interrupt because it's gonna be hard with you guys not being able to see me. But yeah, it's uh hopefully nobody got hurt, but yeah, I think they I think they took out all the interwebs around here. Ooh. Oh, I thought you were talking about nobody got hurt based on what we were saying so far. I was like, God, that was a little offensive. Like I don't think our conversation. <laughs> well, I, that I don't bad. know. We we talked some smack about some languages, but uh I, I think we've got a, a section come up here now that uh, I think will make you all both very happy. Okay, so we so we were just gotten into the part about thirty four percent more pull requests when teams automate their workflows. Yeah, and so I was like, well, what is what does automation mean here? And we've got some numbers around it, so I'll I'll read the part about that first. Uh, so they do say that automation drives productivity gains and improves developer experience, and they go on to mention actions to automate pull requests and seeing uh, faster merges because of it, and the number of merges. But what I like and what I think you guys will like is that they mentioned that small pull requests drive innovation and productivity. They get merged faster. They get better reviews. They get faster feedback. It makes sense, right? I mean, like every lesson we've learned so far during the course of this show has been that you should make small targeted changes, right? 
and just yep. iterate over time. You know, don't, don't let perfect become the enemy of good enough. Yeah. They, they also mentioned too, that um, they see spikes on open source projects around holidays and weekends, which is, uh, you know, not a huge surprise, but it's kind of nice to think that uh, people enjoy this stuff or else they're as <laughs> they're anxious about it enough to keep working on their skills on the weekends and nights Did or they're notice- trying to get away from the family. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, speaking of getting, quote, getting away from the family, like the picture that they have on here, it's so reminded me of you, Alan, because, uh, uh, you know, this is again in the, we're in the finding balance between work and play uh, section of this. And like one of the pictures shows a, uh, a, a woman writing code and beside her, she has her baby laying down on the, on like a blanket next to her as she's coding. And I'm like, yeah. How many of us, like, Joe, come on. We have watched Alan's kids grow up in the background from, like, from like infant, you know, age to now they're, like, you know, walking around like, hey, Dad, what's up? <laughs> yeah, I told Alan the other day there was, a, there was a teenager standing behind him, and I thought I was getting mugged or something. But uh, it's just <laughs> one of those kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Uh, so we, we do have some uh, some some kind of uh, explanations on where these numbers kind of came from, um, basically, or the dates, and it just doesn't really seem that interested, <laughs> interesting to me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, here are the dates we got, and here's the uh, number of organizations and the countries and stuff, and it's all there if you want to read it. Uh, I just don't know that it's particularly interesting. Uh, they do talk about the distribution of active users by time zone with East Coast taking number one. Oh, these aren't the best commits. Just uh, are the most users. Just the best users. Wait, no, I said that wrong. <laughs> I'm going with it. I'm sticking with it. Hmm. Where where are you guys in this report? You're still on the main page with all the numbers, right? I'm on the productivity port report page ten now. Oh, so you're actually in the detailed download report. Yep. Okay. Okay. Trying yeah, to. Yeah, I fell off. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have because there's a lot of pages here. But the average the average push window by day a week though, like it was really higher for Pacific Coast. Pacific Wait. time zone more than East Coast. Oh yeah, the push window. I was talking about just number of users. Oh. Uh but yeah, if you look at that page ten, then yeah, you can see that uh but if you look at the push window by day of the week, yeah, Pacific, uh they're doing pretty good. Average push window. Yeah, that's an interesting way of phrasing it. They say uh, Mondays overall have a shorter push window, so people uh, pushing in a smaller. How would you say like a smaller, a smaller window, a smaller range? You see uh, commits within four to four point two to four point seven hours, and Saturdays and Sundays are about equal with Mondays. It's pretty funny. And it looks like Wednesday is the most productive day. So we work just as hard on a Saturday as we do on a Monday. Or yeah. does that mean that we work just as little on a Monday as we do on a Saturday? Oh, there's also time off. There's holidays in there. There's uh sprint planning and all that fun stuff. Sure. Sure. There's we'll also not wanting to work. We'll go with that. And having it's the Mondays. Did you guys see this this chart on page 12? 
where they're showing the COVID lockdown and the number of push went like it went up drastically. Wow. When people yeah. were at home. You're not kidding. There there's Yeah, change year over year, hundred percent. It's actually interesting. They have a a lot of the statistics in here are they have I should say they have a lot of stats in here that are specific to COVID. Yeah. I'm trying to like make sense of some of it though, because there was like one that I'm looking at where it's talking about like, you know, the topics and then like the number of repositories that were created. And for COVID, it was like five and a half times the second place, which was data workshop. I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand this sense. Timely open source for good projects like COVID saw explosive growth and may present an exciting opportunity for new users to get engaged in open source communities. And the topic the number one topic was COVID-19 at 5,600 repositories. And for data workshop, it was a thousand. Oh, I so. wonder if that's, that's all these, these analysis tools where people have been trying to do contact tracing and all that. I wonder if that's the kind of projects they're talking about. It could be. I mean, you think back to it, um, you know, I mean, we, we, we talked about the streaming that Jay-Z and I have been doing related to, um, Kubernetes here recently and at the beginning of the pandemic I mean it seems like a lifetime ago but if you recall Jay-Z and I some of the first uh, streaming we did this year was about uh, COVID do you remember mm-hmm. that Jay-Z we took we yeah. were trying to like take uh, just play with some of the pandemic numbers to see you know j- just because we wanted to play with Apache drill right yep. so imagine like how many projects have been committed where it was just more like coming at it from like an analytic kind of point of view, I could see where there'd be a lot of, you know, uh, we're using COVID as a, as a data source, you know, like Kaggle had, had data source for it. So I could see how there could be, you know, projects like that, um, making its way into GitHub and in inflating that, that kind of number, you know, making it a popular topic for the year. Yep. And, you know, am I reading this right too? That um, it looks like uh, the times that people are working and committing has changed. So, uh, like if we look at like the the what, it, what do you call it the uh, change year over year and push window, I don't understand if they're saying it's later or if it's just more people just working more or committing and uh, committing across a larger window. Are you still looking at that that graph on the bottom of twelve? Page yeah, 12? I was looking at twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. Yeah, it's hard for me to. Uh, I mean, I think you got to read some of these paragraphs to make heads or tails of some of these charts. Nah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the uh, Octaverse. Uh, we're going to end it with RTFM, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so a lot of things are. Sorry, sorry we're looking at uh, images and not uh, talking to you. That's uh, let me describe. Let me describe this first. What I see here, okay? Uh, yeah, what color of purple? Picture this is a vermilion. There's a graph with a, a line. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure that like some people going from our uh, was it the des- domain driven design where we were talking about graphs, or was it the uh, designing data intensive applications? Yep. Or I was one of those. One design. of the many yeah. books that we've talked about. I'm sure some people were like having some some twitching spasms as they heard you're like, Oh no, he's going to try to describe a triangle. <laughs> yeah. And so we're in a little bit. So basically um, weekday push window ranges from two sixty nine minutes on Monday. So 4.5. So it's basically, 
you know, they, they kind of took a look at the data and said, hey, there's a big smack in the time of the day where like oh, people are doing the committees. And then it goes up to 494 minutes on Wednesday, which is 8.3 hours. So I wonder if this is kind of a sign of like people working more flexible hours. So Monday, they're not feeling it. They kind of back off. And then Wednesday, they are working more hours, maybe catching up or whatever. And uh, overall, it's looking like the windows have expanded, which could be indicative of not necessarily more work being done, but work being spread out a little bit more. So maybe you're taking a, a couple breaks during the day to take care of kids or, you know, do whatever that you would normally do at the office. Yeah, if you actually go down to page 17, too, I don't know if you guys touch it on this already, but they say that downtime is for open source. So they're saying that they're seeing that on the weekends, people are signing off the enterprise things, right? Like the big company projects that they're working yep. on. And and they're saying that they're seeing the open source creation is up by 25% since April year over year. So people are contributing a lot more yeah, to open this source. Jump. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, but again, I question what you know, what do you mean by that? What do you what do you call an open source? When you say I'm contributing to open source, does that mean that I'm contributing to like a big project like a Kubernetes? Or is it literally like, hey, I wanted to learn Ruby and so uh I just public. you know, here's my public repo where I'm I'm learning Ruby. I think it's public, right? Is my guess, right? Like how else so I'm assuming it's like everything scanning. that's publicly available. Right. Unless they're scanning licenses that are saying that this is, you know, Apache 2 license type stuff. But yeah, my guess is it's going from private GitHub enterprise repos over to the public space. I'm sure that yeah, no, they, they might explain how they, you know, like they might have good definitions in there. But I right. do uh, want to mention they have a couple tips for us. I don't know if you see, I think uh, we're having some latency issues. Sorry. Sorry, peoples. Oh, my gosh. This is way bigger. I didn't realize this is 40 pages just for this one report. But, Wait, uh, yeah, I found some uh, some tips for us. Okay. So, they say, take a few minutes each day to reflect on something you're grateful for. Some developers found a positive impact on their frame of mind. Uh, and I like this one. Instead of managing your time, manage your energy. So identify patterns that help you maintain higher levels of energy and optimize for the times that work for you. If you're a morning person, then, you know, do work early. If you're a, a night owl, then get some stuff done late, whatever works for you. I could see that. That makes sense. Yeah. And they encourage supporting flexible, sustainable work schedules and watching for signs of uh, burnout in team members. And uh, helps you be happier and more productive. Uh, and uh, I love I love having a flexible and sustainable work schedule. So, <laughs> oh uh, man, I know at least flexible. I, I just found they had this like really interesting one um, that we 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 skipped over from the. I guess like looking at that web page alone really doesn't. Uh, you know, sell it. You really to to really get some of the interesting numbers. You got to go into the the um the download because yep. there was one where it was like uh one one graphic that they had that was the distribution of distinct contributor count to each community by region. So, uh, if because you guys haven't seen this yet, right? So, what do you think 
the top uh, com- community um, that Asia would have contributed to. When you say community, what do you uh, like? Just pick a technology thing that you think that somebody would commit code to. To support. Oh, okay. So a repo. Uh, okay. Like a language or a framework or something. Sure. Sure. I would say <laughs> JavaScript, and number two is Python. Okay. Um, China. Uh, well, Asia. Asia. Um. I'm going to go something in the security realm. I don't know. Some, uh, I don't, I don't know what it would be, but, but definitely something in the uh, security realm. Okay. Uh, TensorFlow. Oh, was wow. the number one. Machine learning. Yeah. But specifically TensorFlow. So that was interesting. And then, you know, you were in the ballpark with Python, uh, Joe, cause that was the fourth top one. So it went TensorFlow, COVID, and then just plain GitHub open source and then Python. Wow. Yeah. It was kind of yeah, neat. By, uh, by the way, there's a glossary that uh, defines developers as developers with individual accounts regardless of their activity. So users essentially and open source are open source projects that are public repositories with an open source license. Oh, okay. So I kind of oh, hit okay. it. What? So they have a license file in there that that says it's Apache yep. or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so that's really cool. So now we know that too. And uh, that's that's a really impressive thing. So I would imagine most people just kind of don't get around or doing an assignment for school or something. Maybe would probably skip model license. Uh, push window is the average minutes between a user's first and last Git push to a primary branch of any repository. So roughly approximating development time. Hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. And the volume is the average number of pushes done in a window. Okay, so this would this one would make sense too. The top ten Python packages with the most contributors. Going back to what I was saying about Asia, then number one was TensorFlow. Like overall. Is that- this is going back to the 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 community report. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, we kind of skipped over that, huh? Yeah, by contributing to the Python community, contributors and maintainers help support two hundred and sixty six thousand nine hundred and sixty six packages. Hmm. Three hundred and sixty one thousand eight hundred and thirty two developers and contributors over the previous year from 202 countries and regions. A lot of people working in Python and that's why yeah, it moved up. That's why I take a closer look at uh, this report again. You know, that's one thing that was interesting to me when, when I started messing with Python, I didn't realize how long it had actually been around. Like, it's it's not new, right? Like this thing's been around well over a decade, and it's just getting more and more popular. Which it, I I know that we've we've talked about a little bit. It reminds me of JavaScript. It's just that loosey goosey, you know, easy easy to get into type thing. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the libraries are really impressive too. I think there's something about that, like kind of the rules, the loosey goosiness of it. That's really kind of fostered this, uh, really great mathematical community around. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what magic special sauce they have, but it's working for them. This episode is sponsored by educative.io. Educative.io offers hands-on courses with live developer environments, all within a browser-based environment with no setup required. With Educative.io, you can learn faster using their text-based courses instead of videos, focus on the parts you are interested in, and skim through the parts you're not. Now, let me tell you uh, about my next course, because I know I've changed this up a few times as I keep changing my mind. And uh, part, by the way, that's been part of the fun for me is just browsing through the course and, and uh, you know, it's like Christmas shopping. But uh, I had a hard time with a, one of the advent of code problems I was doing in Python because I thought I knew Python, but there were a lot of things that I, I didn't know. I, I found that I figured out that I, I kind of knew the basics. I knew how to, you know, kind of get my day job done with it. But I was missing, I had a really big hole around like the functional programming and some of the libraries that were built in that really makes Python shine. And so I was doing things in bad ways. I was trying to stream it and it just kind of got awkward and weird. I realized I had a big gap in my knowledge. Well, lo and behold, there is a course that's basically designed just for me. It's called Introductional, <laughs> Introduction to Functional Programming. And it's uh, all based around Python. And it goes through those libraries, through those techniques and through the things uh, in Python that I was looking for basically. So I, I was able to find a course that addressed a weakness of mine. And so now I'm going through this before continuing on with uh, any further kind of studies in Python because I want to get it right from the get go. And I want to kind of practice doing things in, in a smart and good way. And it's just awesome that I was able to like quickly browse around and find something that just hit the nail on the head for me. And, you know, like we've talked in the past a uh, couple of episodes, like uh, about, you know, we've hit it on, some Kubernetes topics uh, in the last one. And like, by the way, you know, still hit up Joe and Alan and talk them into us doing a deep dive on Kubernetes. But Hey, in the meantime, you could do that same deep dive on educative.io and they've got a ton of topics on there and specifically like just DevOps, because now that Alan is sold on DevOps and he's become a senior DevOps engineer, uh, even though it should just be more of a cultural thing, they have a truckload of, uh, DevOps related uh, topics. So, you know, you want to learn uh, the DevOps, they have a series called the DevOps Toolkit. So you can learn about Jenkins. That's going to be pretty uh, critical to your your DevOps start, right? It's all going to start with uh, getting that Jenkins pipeline together. They have uh, Docker for developers in there, uh, working with containers and Docker Compose, a practical guide to Kubernetes, advanced Kubernetes techniques techniques like monitoring and logging and auto scaling. So a ton of uh, great knowledge. It doesn't have to just be like a programming uh, language that you want to learn about. It could be other concepts out there too. But uh, the, you know, they also had their newest addition to the grokking series. So like, uh, you know, Joe was a big fan of the, uh, what was that one? The grokking, the system design. System Joe? design. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, like, Joe was a huge fan of that. When went went through that one earlier. Was it last year that you did that, or I forget? Uh, last September. Yeah. Yep. 
and and just fell in love with that whole course. And it turns out like they have a whole uh, set of similar courses of grokking series, right? And they've added to their their newest one to that grokking the machine learning interview. And if you take that uh, course, you'll focus on the system design side of machine learning by designing your own real machine learning system, such as an ad prediction system. And this is really like the only course like this on the internet. Yeah. So you need to go and learn about what you're interested in. So visit educative.io slash coding blocks to automatically get the lowest pricing available for subscriptions at checkout. Hurry though, because they don't run these deals very often. Again, that's educative.io slash coding blocks to start your subscription today. All right. Hey, break time. I would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. That would be a great place to do it. We try to make it easy by putting a a link up there. If you go to codingblocks.net slash review and uh, where else? Podchaser will let you do it. Stitcher, not so much anymore. So yeah, that's audible. I heard something about audible. Yeah. You could leave some reviews on audible. That's so right. I guess we're going to have to start uh, throwing Audible a lot of love and uh, traffic in order to get some reviews over there. That's fine. I love Audible. That's fine with me. So, yeah, hook us up on Audible. We appreciate that if you're an Audible user or you just uh, just want to hook us up. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much. <laughs> I just find it so humorous. I'm sorry. I got distracted. My dog decided that the one pillow he was on was no longer enough. So he walks across the room to another pillow to lay down on (laughs) it was like really what was so different about the other one yeah all right got too hot i don't know i don't oh well hmm i don't know i don't know uh i mean they're both next to the wall so maybe like he just got tired of that that wall yeah i don't know all right well with that we will head into my favorite portion of the show Survey says. All right. Uh, So a few episodes back, we asked, hey, which do you want most? The brand new Microsoft Series X refrigerator or the brand new Sony PlayStation 5 duck bill? (laughs) All right. So um, I think I might have Alan now. Do I thumbs up? I think up, I'm Alan? here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so while I have a chance to hear Alan, because uh, technically Joe's supposed to go first, but I'm going to give I'm going to give Alan a chance since his internet connection seems to be coming and going. Alan, what do you think is the most popular choice? Uh, I'm going to have to go with the PlayStation Five only because it's it's PlayStation has been sort of reigning supreme for years in that realm. So. We'll go with that. Now I'm going to say it's sixty percent. Has it rained supreme though? I mean, I get it. You know, Spider Man. I get it. But users supreme. Uh, User wise, totally. Yeah, supreme. Yeah, supreme. <laughs> supreme. Supreme. Hey, look, I, I like I like the Xbox too, but there's no question. There's more PlayStation users than Xbox users. Supreme. <laughs> supreme. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, in that case, I guess I'll give you the correct answer, okay. which is uh, Xbox with fifty point point oh one percent. Okay, because uh, Game Pass is just too good. Yeah, man, all about that uh, Halo Inf- Infinite coming out. 
which sadly, oh man, did you see it's like, you know, been delayed again till the fall of 2021 now. So it will officially have been delayed a year now. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely no reason to even bother buying one of these consoles (laughs) right now. Yeah. So when, if you ask me like, which one do you want the most? I'm like me, whatever. Yeah. Well, assuming you already have one, if you don't have a console right now, then this is probably very exciting for you. If you don't already have a console, sure. Fine. Uh, all right. So, uh, 60% for Alan for the PlayStation 5 Duckbill edition. Supreme. Uh, <laughs> Supreme. Uh, <laughs> that, that's going to be the official, uh, way to refer to it from now on. Or, uh, 50.01, uh, for the, Microsoft Xbox Series X refrigerator. Yes. And the answer is, of course it's the Xbox. Come on, Alan. Xbox. Oh, that's garbage. Yeah, man. 59%. Major Nelson. 59% for the Xbox. Wow. That's Chief says, what's up? What's up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I'm surprised. I don't know why you wouldn't have picked the Xbox, uh, but yeah. Dude, it was the there's Xbox. no way. There's way more users on PlayStation. Um, mm, dream on. I mean, <laughs> even if there are, maybe they're just not excited about it, and so they're more excited to get the the refrigerator. That's that's possible, and I have no way to verify anything because my interwebs aren't working. So <laughs> yeah, my life is over tonight. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we should go ahead and post this poll up on the internet and see what happens. Put it on Twitter, right? You can keep right? you can you can keep your soda cold at four K. I mean, that makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> with gosh. the with the Xbox refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. All right. Uh, well, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got a sidetrack here. I got to tell you something. So uh today for lunch, I ate a kids meal at McDonald's today. His mom got really angry though. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's good. Uh you could thank Mike RG for that. I can't take any credit for that. Um Wow. Yeah, so uh with that, we head into today's survey. And, you know, it's it's that time of year. Christmas movies are coming around. So we thought, like, hey, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Now, before I even start this list, I know somebody's going to say, like, I missed one. And sure, I'm not listing every Christmas movie ever made. Okay? So there's the there's the asterisk on the on the statement there. Not everyone's going to be made or listed. So your choices are, and these are your only choices, Joe, looking at you. I hate movies. Don't worry. Oh, okay. It's a Wonderful Life, because I like the classics. Or A Charlie Brown Christmas, that poor, poor Christmas tree. Or Frosty the Snowman, with a corncob pipe and a butt on his nose, or wait, um, okay. It's something like that. 
A Christmas story, only I didn't say fudge. Or how the Grinch stole Christmas because my heart is three sizes too small. Or the nightmare before Christmas, it's what I imagine happens when Jack White meets Tim Burton. Or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, an awkward story about being different enough to be important. Or Die Hard, it is a Christmas move me. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> I wonder which one Outlaw picked. <laughs> Oh, there, there's no doubt about it. I don't even mind tainting this survey because Die Hard is clearly the best Christmas series, I said it, series ever. Uh, what about Cyberpunk? I think you left that one off. Um, oh, I forgot. You're still, uh, that, you're, you're still uh, talking about movies as yes. if they're relevant anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean oh. – now everything uh, we go straight to the theater and to HBO Max at the same time. So yeah, not HBO Go, right? Right? Not, oh, not is that HBO even a Prime. thing anymore? Is HBO Man. Go even a thing? Don't get me started on that nonsense. Yep. Well, <sighs> I saw because you know how Alan is all about like data's data and databases, right? Oh, tell me we're not losing him again. No, Alan's I'm here. all about. I'm here. <laughs> Alan's all about data and databases, right? And you know how, like, you can find anything on Netflix, right? And I saw this great movie about databases. I, I can't wait for the sequel. <laughs> That's another one for Mike RG. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, by the way, this is a total sidetrack tangent. Outlaw, uh, you you damaged me. You told me about this show on Netflix called The Social Experiment, maybe? I think it's the, the Social name Dilemma. The Social, social dilemma. dilemma. Man, don't watch it. it. It'll just, it'll make you hate, it'll make you hate social media even more. Um, yeah. But it, it was, it was really good. Did you see it, Jay Z? Nope. Man, it's, my wife was mad after she watched it. She's like, we're getting rid of everything. I'm like, okay, well, Reagan, yeah. I've, been, I've been telling you this for a long time, right? Yeah. That's good. Uh, though. Like, and it's the things that we know, but like, I think it makes you feel it in an emotional level that like maybe, you know, it gets kind of lost and it's good for, it's for disturbing. maybe. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, if you think about it though, even the whole concept and idea of the notifications they can show up on your phone. Like why did Apple ever introduce that in the first place? Or, you know, Google ever introduced that in the first place on their devices, right? It was a way to like try to suck you back into, you know, picking up that device and using that device and finding like, you know, some kind of use for it. Right. And, and now companies are taking advantage of that kind of thing. Right. And, and, you know, they, they went to, to, I don't know if you call it an extreme, but like, I mean, they weren't so far as to even refer to email, you know, in, in that, in that, uh, that movie that, that wasn't really a documentary. I forget what they called it, but it, it kind of yeah. was, but kind of wasn't. It was a drama, yeah, it docu- a, a dramatized documentary, yeah. I think is what they called it. Right. Right. It, and, it and yeah, good. 
Oh, it's super good. If you haven't watched it, I, I highly recommend it. I thought it was very entertaining. Well, Even disturbing. if it does entertaining, make you disturbing. Like it, you're going to, if you watch it with, with anybody in your family, they're going to start making rules. Like you're not allowed to do this on your phone or you're not allowed to bring your phone into the room or you're not like, there's just going to be so many things that people are like, Oh, I didn't realize. And you'll start, you'll start evaluating things. So yeah, it, it was, it was good and disturbing and frustrating and it just reinforced everything I already knew about it. I mean, there are a lot of people though that talk about like just from like a a work life balance and also just healthy kind of mental habits and whatnot. Like that, when you get home from work, like pre COVID, uh, when you get home from work, you you put your phone away. You know, don't like set it down and don't come back to it. Right? Like you're at home now. You don't need that. Right? And. uh you know, I, I've heard interviews where some are saying like, you know, that the watch, you know, like th- with the watches now, like that's enough, right? Like that's more than enough for home to provide you with any kind of like things that you needed to to know about right then and that you could do without the phone uh, while you're home. But obviously now in like a pandemic situation where, you know, nobody leaves home, then uh, I guess you just always have it or maybe you like just leave it, you know. You have very strict areas for this is my work and, you know, this, the rest of the house is not, I don't know. You throw the phone in a Faraday cage at some point, and walk away from it. Maybe. This episode is sponsored by X matters. X matters helps enterprises prevent, manage and resolve technology incidents. X matters industry leading digital service availability platform prevents technical issues from becoming big business problems. Large enterprises, agile SREs, and innovative DevOps teams rely on its proactive incident response automation and management service to maintain operational visibility and control in today's highly fragmented technology environment. So what exactly does that mean? What X Matters does is it brings your team together to be able to resolve incidents and, and, and handle things that come up in business day to day without people needing to go and set up the things that happen. So if you have a production incident that, that causes things to go down in, in the regular way people operate is you'll have, you know, Michael will go set up. Uh, a Jira ticket, Joe will go set up a Slack channel, and then I'll have to go do something in service now, right? And start getting the things flowing. Is it really X that Matters sophisticated? Does. I think it's more like, uh, hey, Joe, uh, can you like, uh, can you get online? I know you're, you're at dinner right now. I know, man. And, uh, hey, but do you mind? I need you to get online if you don't mind. Oh, you're at the restaurant. Uh, when you think you can get home, can you like jump online real quick? And I'm going to create a ticket. Uh, I'd, uh, I don't even know how to classify this ticket, but I'll, I'll email you the ticket. That's how it really right, it, Right, right. And then, hey, who should I put on that ticket, right? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure who needs to be on that ticket, right? Like, that's really how it goes down. X Matters gets rid of all that guesswork and all that other things. You configure this, and when there's a production incident, now your Jira ticket's set up with the correct watchers on it. Your Slack channel set up automatically with people invited to it. A call bridge is set up and people are automatically called and added to that bridge. 
all of the minutia and, and the things that you typically don't want to and don't have time to deal with are done for you so you can focus on resolving these issues. And, and I want to be clear though, too, though, like in the examples that you said though, like that's if you want those features, right? Like you, you get right. to define how your incident management workflow works that and whatever that process is that works the best for your organization, that's how you can configure it. So if that includes setting up a call bridge and setting up a Slack and setting up a ticketing system and all that kind of stuff, like, great, you can do all that plus a truckload more. But if you're like, hey, I, I don't need the call bridge, like you can t- totally customize, tailor that workflow to meet your organization's needs. So get rid of your highly inaccurate, error-prone uh, you know, maintained by Joe spreadsheets because we've seen how Mathematician works. So let's face it, it's, <laughs> you don't you don't want Joe touching your spreadsheet. Get rid of those. Replace those inaccurate, high maintenance spreadsheets with easy to manage on call schedules, groups, rotations, and escalations across devices for targeted alerts using X Matters. You're right. Nobody wants to see my spreadsheets. But uh, good news, because from IT to DevOps to emergency notifications, everyone needs speed, automation, and reliability when things go wrong. So keep your digital services up and running today with XMatters. Learn more at XMatters.com. All right, so we're looking at the uh, community report in a little bit more depth here. And uh, I was just looking at the very interesting section on uh, the changing GitHub community. So we mentioned that uh, not everyone on GitHub is a, a developer and they actually have a distribution of roles over time. And, uh, so we can see that in 2016, it was almost 60% developer, which was a lot lower than I expected. And it's gone down since then to, I don't know, it looks like maybe 55 ish, uh, in 2020. But, uh, I was surprised to see that it was so low to, to begin with. Wait, what page are you on? Oh, uh, I guess I should tell you that. I'm on page nine. Uh, page nine, nine, the changing GitHub community. Yeah. And so you can see that education has gone way up. So we've got people, uh, it was under 20, 20% in 2016. And now it's like, I don't know, 24%. So that's a good chunk of where it was, uh, where that percent went. Also data is way up. Uh, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say way up. Yeah, that's what I was, was going to question. I mean, it's definitely up. Education is definitely up. Um, yeah. I'd be curious to know if like education, does that count? Is that like high school age or, you know, y- younger type students or is that college and university? Yeah. What do they call? What are they, I wonder what they're calling education. Did you see that? No, the main is in the glossary. They do say that um, teachers and students expanding on the foundation they built, and we expect this number to grow. Uh, let's try the glossary. Glossary is on page 33. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, it doesn't say. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 they talk a lot about it on, on page 10, but they don't, like, yeah. say – what the students, you know, that if it's, you know, college age or younger. Yeah. They just talk about how education GitHub's it's like marketing, like GitHub's role in education for the next generations. Well, there's a classroom report. So maybe check that out. What does this say? The 
the key findings from the classroom report, the 2020 classroom report for GitHub. Uh, pay attention to APAC and what is that? L-A-T-A-M. Have you heard Latin of that? America. Hmm. Okay. I guess that would make sense. That's an abbreviation for it. Yeah. Wow. That shows you like how, uh, America, I am. I didn't even <laughs> remember when uh, we were talking it, about my geography skills at the, the top of the show. Like I'm totally rocking it. Yeah. Uh, the number of respondents from those areas rose from 2019 to 20. Next generation developers will know <laughs> and use Python. So adjust your stack, product development, and outreach accordingly. Uh, that makes sense, though. Uh, you know. I mean, we've talked about the popularity of Python before, so, yeah. And they go deep on Python here. If you're a Pythonista, you just got to go read this whole 2020 community report because it's uh, it takes a, a big, long look at it. It talks about the, the differences in how, like, newcomers to Python and veterans to Python, uh, their different patterns and how they use GitHub. Here's the – here's the cool. – the probably the one that I find the most interesting, though, from this uh, – Classroom study though, Visual Studio Code is the number one choice for young developers for the second year in a row. That makes sense. It's free and it's good, and there's so many extensions. You know, I, maybe it's just my circle, but like I don't hear anyone talk about Electron or Atom anymore. No. Every once in a while, I'll see some old articles. It's like I'm an Atom person. I'm like, what? Get out of here. Yeah, I did see a, um, a breakdown on Python with the top 10 packages with the most unique contributors over the last 12 months. Uh, and TensorFlow is number one, which is something that I'm totally, it's just totally foreign to me. So it's, it's cool to see that, that that's, there's still such big areas of programming that are totally foreign to me. Uh, some Home Assistant, PyTorch is number three, Ansible is number four. I was surprised to see that. Um, I kind of associate that with like server administration. Uh, you two download. I'm not surprised to see that. Although this is contributors, this is not downloaders. This is people who actually made changes to it. I mean, they have like so much of this. This report though is specific to Python. Like, uh, yeah, strange. Yeah, really, it is. I mean, like Python was popular and moved up, but it, what was it? It was like fourth or fifth place, something like that. I think it was fifth, right? Or no, fourth. Yeah, maybe uh, C sharp was fifth. It moved up to second. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. It moved up to second and Java moved down to third. Um, but like they have like a whole other section on like the top 10 repositories that COVID and TensorFlow communities depend on, which I almost wonder is like, okay, you could probably leave out the COVID part and these would still say the same. Yeah. Like NumPy. TensorFlow, Matplotlib, SciPy, PsychicLearn, uh, you know, Pillow, that's one I hadn't heard of. Um, oh, well, I guess those were the ones that just the TensorFlow. Okay, now I understand how they had it. Those, those were the TensorFlow library. So, like, uh, I was already at, like, the seven, top seven. So then if we go back to the just focusing on, like, the top three for each, right? For the COVID, it was definitely typed. 
Safe Buffer and Debug, uh, Vision Media Debug were the top three pa- Python packages. Or no, I guess I, I guess they're not referring to it that way. They're just saying the top ten repositories. Period. Yeah, I was looking at computers earlier. Now, at the top, they do say why they focus on Python, TensorFlow, and COVID. And it's basically because uh, they consider it to be uh, a deeper exploration into three communities that are part of social and data movements. And so this is in their community report. So that's why they're kind of shining a spotlight here. It has nothing to do with like popularity or anything but, oh, okay. you know, other than the sense. fact that it's related to social stuff and also popularity. Okay, now that makes more sense. So, so when they're saying like, "Hey, these are the the top ten repositories that these refer these depend on," it's not because of some correlation between them. Uh, it's yeah. just that and they're uh, like yeah. highlight, like they just randomly, you know, or not randomly, but they they picked something that they felt would be representative of the users, you know, topic wise, and that happened to be like TensorFlow and COVID. Yeah, and they talk about these and they talk about how they brought new people into those communities. They talk about how the communities have kind of bridged gaps between uh, organizational lines and different kinds of people and uh, the changing landscape of GitHub project communities. And so that's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, you know, it definitely seems like they've got a vested interest in growing communities and that's why they're kind of taking a look at these three. But they don't say anything about the communities they didn't choose, like, you know, I'm surprised not to see JavaScript on here because I definitely think of a, JavaScript being such a new developer community, but it doesn't have that same social tie-in that Python has right now. Did you see hey. how did they specify that you know if something was COVID or not? Like, how do they know that like a, a project or a repository is COVID specific? Uh, you can read more. Finding out. so a community made of the top hundred COVID nineteen. Uh, repositories. So I, based on the number of contributions, but I don't know how they picked out whether it was tagged or not. I don't know how they, they have a link here for, uh, for finding them. Looks like. Have you, have either of you guys worked with the discussions part? So I think it's just above where you guys were looking at the Python stuff where, where now in GitHub, they announced this thing called discussions and it's a way for people to collaborate. So instead of just doing tickets and whatnot, this is actually having discussions and they were talking about next JS repo. Um, 25% of the people of the all time contributors ended up using discussions. Joe, I know that you do quite a bit with our coding block stuff. Have you ever used any of this? No, I've never even heard of it. I knew of Gitter, which I kind of think of as being like kind of, persistent ish chat for GitHub, but I've never heard of discussions. Like it's almost like a Slack, but for Git and developers. Yeah, that's what I don't know. And I can't go check it out right now, but yeah, it's, I don't know if it's a Slack. I don't know if it's a real time type thing or if it's more of like a, a message board. I, I have no idea. I can't, I can't look at it right now, but that's pretty interesting. I, I didn't know it existed either. It's new. It came out, it looks like, beta in May. Uh, yeah, yeah it looks cool. So there's a tab on the repo called Discussions, and it's like kind of like a forum built in. It's uh, I see some questions and answer type stuff like Stack Overflow, which will be interesting to see, see what that means. Like For so long, Stack Overflow has been the king of looking up issues, but 
I mean, it seems like a pretty good way if you could have more targeted type questions. This is a, a an interesting competitor to Stack Overflow. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I didn't know about that, so I'll keep an eye out. Yeah, we found, you we said found it was, a new tool. You said it was launched when? What did you say that was? Uh, May. It's in beta. and uh, It might still be in beta. Hmm. Yeah, it, it looks like they were using it for Next.js in January, but it sounds like it's opening it up to more of the world now. So, yeah, pretty interesting. I do not see it for Kubernetes. Oh, well, then it's dead to me. <laughs> yeah, I do see it for Next.js. <laughs> and for anybody looking at this or trying to figure out where we are in this community report, it's on page 17 is where they talk about a lot of this. Wow, yeah, this, I mean, I'm seeing stuff that looks like the the post I'm looking on Next.js, it's like some things are like, hey, you should have, this is a, an RFC, like a request for, I don't know, change maybe. And people can vote it up. They can comment. Um, some people are asking questions like, hey, I need help. You can answer it or not. So, yeah, it looks like a pretty big swing of Stack Overflow mixed with a nice way for communities to, to uh, or I guess kind of fills in some blanks for like some governance. So, like ways to uh, decide what changes should get in or what people should focus on. And so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how this shakes out over the next couple of years if people start using it a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, good, good find there. Dang. Yeah, wow. Learn something new every day. Next, we'll be uh, you know talking about trying to beef up your uh, your discussions profile. <laughs> yeah. Answer questions there so that you can get uh, upvoted. <laughs> Are you seen to do anything with um, GitHub sponsors? No, no. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, no, I haven't. But there was a story in there about. Um, I'll let Alan pronounce that symbol. Um, but a lady named Gina, and they were talking about her. Uh, you know, she supports her work through GitHub sponsors, and that she's like fully funded, and that GitHub sponsors was one of the way, one of the ways that she. Uh, does that how do you i mean uh, that's german right yeah that's german i'm not actually certain on that other character i don't know if it's halvage i'm not i'm not sure it looks like a b a capital b but it's not and so right uh hombage i guess is how i'm going to pronounce it with uh you know america i'm 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 wrong but yeah, this is pretty cool. I didn't know about GitHub sponsors either. So this is, uh, I guess we're learning a little bit more about the platform that, that we never need. We didn't know existed. Yeah. Invest in the software that powers your world. So it's a new way to contribute to open source. Invest in the open source projects you depend on. Contributors are working behind the scenes to make an open source better for everyone. Give them help and the recognition they deserve. Gina Houch. Oh gosh, we, I wasn't even close. Yeah, I was. Just, we should just not try to say it. <laughs> I'm sure I got it right. 
<laughs> if I say it again, probably not. But yeah, it's just so you can go and uh, uh, support developers that uh, that you want to support. And I, I'm trying to figure out. It's like if you wanted to be an open source developer, like I see how you can. It's this got like a Patreon kind of thing built in, so I can go and like I can donate three dollars a month. Uh, but how if what if I wanted to be a uh, an open source maintainer? How would you do that? I mean, one of the things that they that they give here is they're on the sponsors page. They're talking about um, you know, you depend on open source every day, and they give an example of curl included on in almost every modern device: smartphones, yep. cars, TV, laptops, servers, consoles, printers. How many? If you haven't already seen it, have you already did you already scroll and see the number? I heard an interview with the person. Oh, really? So you back when they were trying to raise money. How many? How many installs do you think there are? Well, I'm also on the page. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's ten trillion plus installs Whoa. of curl. Yeah, ten trillion. <laughs> That's more than a billion. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, GitHub sponsors is now out of beta and it's in 34 regions. uh, And you have to make sure that you have a bank account in one of those regions in order to qualify. They do have a wait list, though, because the feature has been so popular and they're trying to, I guess, vet people. So that's interesting. So that if that's something you seriously want to go for, like you can make a, a career out of being an open source maintainer, which is pretty amazing. I didn't no, realize I'll, this I'll was link that episode. I mean, like they're, no. they're they show like one uh, developer here who has like a thing, uh, you know, fifteen thousand dollars a month. And when I reach this goal, I'll be able to quit my day job and work on open source full time. I didn't realize that was this was an option. <laughs> like this is a this is one of those things that your career guidance counselor like never teaches you. You know, when you're in school, you know, when you're a kid growing up and like. Yeah, you could just, uh, you know, don't go work for somebody else. Just get sponsors to sponsor you so you can write code for free. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I found that uh, I found that podcast, by the way. It was uh, Changelog episode 20, uh, 299, so I'll get a link there. But also, they have transcripts, which are super amazing, so you should check out that link. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'll put in the resources be like... Best transcripts I've ever seen. Uh, Curl is 20 years old. Huh. And, uh, yeah, we've got more talk of TensorFlow and COVID. Well, now we understand why. Users. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this is great for a company to, for you know, for them to do this. It makes a little less sense. Like, we've learned a lot about their platform and uh, different services that we didn't even know they had. Like I consider myself to be, you know, pretty in touch. Like I read Hacker News and write it pretty often. And so it's uh, now you can be like hip with all the kids. You know, next time you're at Starbucks, you can be like on fleek. And you know, when you talk about like, do you even have the four one one on GitHub uh, discussions? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm using the right terminology. Coding watch got the four one one. Yeah. Yep. Wow, we can see. Um, so on page twenty-seven, there's a really interesting change in time to merge pull requests for open source projects versus previous year. 
and the time to merge pull requests starting in February, way down. Oh, yeah. Way down. <laughs> like, how do you have that a negative number for it? Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. And then there's a spike for Thanksgiving holiday, but uh, yeah, the change in time to merge pull requests. So yeah, pull requests got merged in a lot faster. And open source projects, way up, way up year over year, 40%. Yeah, that's really big. Starting in, uh, it looks like um, it started creeping up around February, no surprise there. And then uh, really hit a stride around May, June, July, and then it fell back down a little bit, but still doing pretty good. Yeah, I guess it's not like it's not as yeah. I mean, we started the show by saying that this was similar to like uh, you know, this was the the similar to the Stack Overflow survey, except for GitHub. But really, like their whole calling it the octoverse makes a lot more sense now because you know, like you were saying a moment ago where like you're learning more about their platform and everything, like things that we didn't know before, like um, with this GitHub sponsors and discussions and everything. And so like now it's like making a lot more sense. Yeah. uh, They have some projections here that are pretty cool too, looking at the future of open source. And uh, they do say that by 2025, they expect to have a hundred billion users and, uh, uh, I thought I had, sorry, I thought I had <laughs> open oh, source projects there too, but it's interesting to see doubling. Yeah. The five number of years. Yeah. The number of projected users. Uh, I just found a new podcast in one of these things. <laughs> yeah. Which one? Parent driven development. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> I hadn't either, but I love the name. Uh, that's great. Yeah, that's what you know. I noticed uh, a lot of the images and stuff they use in these reports. Uh, they did a really good job of like uh, just representation. I noticed they had a lot of parents or soon to be parents like pictured in the in the books. So uh, just in the reports, it's a really pretty looking report overall. Like it looks really professional and just well done. Check this out: the countries and regions with strongest growth in in contributors: Nigeria number one, uh, oh, Hong yeah. Kong number two, and Saudi Arabia number three. And uh, I mean, quite. The numbers are just high all around. Bangladesh, Egypt, Peru, Colombia. I mean, the really cool thing about some of this, though, is that uh, it goes back to, like, everything that we've talked about here recently in recent months related to, like, uh, telemetry, right? (laughs) Like, a lot of us, they're able to even show you, like, commits per day, per hour, or whatever, like, you know, because they have that kind of telemetry available to them, right? I mean, obviously, that's p- part of the Git log, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, like, as part of those uh, those commits going in, they're like keeping some stats off to the side so that they don't have to go and like repull every repo's Git log so that they can <laughs> pull out these kind of numbers. Yep. Oh, they have a special breakdown of distribution of roles over time in Python which is pretty interesting. And so you can see from 2013 to 2020, uh, developers haven't really changed that much, but every other category has kind of eaten some of that space. So like uh, education is uh, way up from where it was in 2013. So a lot more, a lot more students Uh, and scientists is, uh, has also grown and managers too. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Man, if you like Python, you owe it to yourself to go look at all of these. 
So we're skipping over quite quite a bit. This is much more in depth than I expected. Yeah, I, I got to admit, like at first when we thought we were going to do this show, it was just gonna, we thought it was going to be more similar to the uh, the Stack Overflow survey, but it's really yeah. not. <laughs> It's got cross links and stuff back to other pages. That's why we're skipping around. So hopefully it's not terrible to listen to. Oh, hey, uh, Steam finished downloading uh, Cyberpunk. So I'm going to go. <laughs> 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 the real reason. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I've already got my name picked out for my, for my person. Oh, can, can we hear it? No. Oh. No. It's not uh, it's, appropriate. Uh, it's not appropriate. It's the future. I I wanted something radical. All right. Well, we will we will have this uh, this link as well as some other links that we've mentioned. Um, you know, for the the GitHub Octoverse, and uh, yeah, parent driven development. Uh, we'll have links to that uh, in the resources we like section. And with that, we head into. I I got one last one though. Uh. <laughs> One sloth turned to the other sloth and said, you know, I used to dislike moss, but now I think it's growing on me. (laughs) And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. All right. So, uh, yeah, Jay-Z, why don't you tell us what's your tip? All right. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, CLIs versus UIs and why it's good to know a CLI really well because you can really get to know uh, what's happening underneath and you get to understand the, the item deeper and uh, you build that muscle and then you can use tools more effectively. But ultimately, if you want a script, uh, then that's the way to go. And ultimately, there's always things that you can do with a CLI that you can't always do in a UI. So, um, you know, we, we have talked about that and I agree with that. But let me tell you about canines. If you're working in Kubernetes and you are uh, doing anything like I do, which is like flopping around between uh, namespaces or different contexts or kind of comparing different environments against each other or quickly looking at uh, various pods or trying to get into like look at logs or make just just inspect a lot of things. If you're just like, debugging or triaging, then K9S, one up from Kubernetes, like the dogs, is a fantastic tool. There's, there is a learning curve and it is not long in time, but it looks daunting at first. So when I first fired up canines, I, I heard it was good. I was like, uh, what the heck? This is terrible. It was like using VI. You got to use colons to switch between resource types. You use slash for filtering. I was like, I am, I'm going to hate this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to learn all these broke shortcuts. But then I realized that I had actually learned them all already. <laughs> It was actually pretty much just the two. Colon for navigating between resource types and slash uh, to filter. And then you can hit, you know, there's a couple of things they'll show on the screen that will like, kind of help you navigate between contexts and namespaces. And there's good information just all over the place. But uh, the important things to me are that it pulls in the background. So uh, if I switch to services from pods, there's no a lag. Once you kind of get hooked up to the environment, uh, you just go there and it's instant. So there's none of that kind of waiting when you do like normally cube cuddle. And uh, also it uh, shows information about like the namespace and context you're in all the time, which is great if you're a switcher like me. But then Outlaw went and showed me that there's actually a couple other command line tools built into it. 
one called Popeye, which I'd never heard of, but it's almost like a kind of a linter for your running cluster. Where we'll go through and say, hey, here's errors that you should know about and here's warnings. warnings. Yeah. Yep. Which is really cool. Uh, there was one called Pulses, which was uh, almost like a monitoring. So it had some cool visualizations, almost like you get from like a Grafana uh, for seeing like number of resources, number of pods, things like that. Um, red and green for good and bad. And uh, what was the third one? Oh, X-Ray, which was uh, more of the like the linting type capabilities that you could like uh, navigate to and worked with uh, Popeye. And all of this was free. It was really nice to easy and easy to use once you spent the 15 minutes to learn how to, to work it. So canines, go get it. Okay. So really the takeaway from this is Popeye. <laughs> Popeye is great. But I mean, everything else like for me, switching between namespaces, I was always getting confused and comparing namespaces is really great too. So I can like open up two terminals, get them hooked up to two different contexts. I'm not typing dash N for namespace all over the place. I'm not getting confused. Um, I mean, just if you get into a situation where you're trying to look at two different environments and you're like, it's like adding the context and namespace as an argument to every cube cuddle command. That's a miserable way to live. I don't care if you have tab completion or not. It just, it stinks. But if you can just get two tabs up between two environments and like, why does this one work and this one doesn't? It's so fast, so nice, and it eliminates a lot of confusion and human error, which I find very desirable. The problem though that I have with it, like, like I want to, I want to like it a lot better than I did, but I mean, one, I got off to a bad um, start with it because, like, I guess Ubuntu isn't, like, on their radar, but, like, everything else is. So the install for Ubuntu isn't as friendly as it is for, like, other platforms. Yeah, there was no Snap. There was no apt-get. Which was odd because there was, like, other, you know, versions of Linux. that was like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, you can do it for this, but not for Ubuntu. Yeah, if you got Alpine, then here you go. Like, isn't Ubuntu wait, like pretty popular? Wait, so you were using Ubuntu because you were using WSL for Windows? I assume. No, I was in Ubuntu. Oh, you were actually trying to do Ubuntu. Well, I wasn't yeah, we're trying on to Windows. do Ubuntu. I mean, which thank is you, weird. Sir, I was doing Ubuntu. <laughs> yeah, you were trying to <laughs> like, do Ubuntu, is what it sounded like. <laughs> Since when does the dev tool work better on Windows than Ubuntu? I mean, it was just weird. It was just weird to me that it was like, you know, hey, here it is for OpenSUSE, but not for Ubuntu. And I was like, huh. Okay. Really? Yeah. I mean, whatever. You know, I mean, that that wasn't like the big thing. But the big one, though, for me was that in our Kubernetes environments, like it, they're pretty large. And I don't know how you can stand it, Joe. Like it's so slow. And I don't know if that's just me and like my bad luck, but when I'm connecting to our, it's fine in a small cluster, but in our, in our clusters, it's been problematic. It's been, yeah, I've definitely noticed that. Um, but for me, like the, it's just been worth it to deal with the slowness. And maybe that's because I don't have the, you know, like, uh, I'm not running kubectl in, in uh, WSL, and so I don't have, uh, like, tab completion. Oh, so I want to be so clear. Nice. This is not me running it in WSL. I'm not, nothing, this is just me running it from a Windows command line in, like, you know, our yeah. day job, right? Like, are the clusters are, are large, and so, like, I'm having problems with it. Like, I, and when I say that I have problems with it, I mean to the point where it's, like, I have to just, like, force close the thing 
in order to like open it back up and re-navigate again because it won't it becomes unresponsive. So I've had that, but I will say that it's been still so much more worth it because when you've got like one of these environments with thousands of pods and you're like, hey, let me go look up the oh, I got a port for it. I don't know what the pod name is, I don't know what the service name is, is like let me cube cuddle, get services. Uh, I, maybe, you know, a label, maybe you don't. And then you still end up waiting like 10 seconds, 15 seconds because cube cuddle doesn't really work very well either. Uh, I don't know, man, because the cube cuddle was so much faster. And, and I will say this too, uh, one other gripe and i uh, sorry to pick on your, your tip of the week, but it should be, uh, one other gripe. <laughs> What's your tip? Let me look at your tip. Ah. <laughs> uh, well played, sir. Well played. So, so the, if you wanted to attach into or exec into a pod, right? If you are missing any permissions for whatever reason, like you won't get an error. It, it won't tell you what happened. Like you'll try to exec, you'll try to, well, they call it attach, but it'd be the equivalent oh. if you try to do an exec, an interactive exec into a pod. Uh, when you, when you try to attach to that pod, It'll, it'll flash and then, you know, come back. So you don't actually see, wait, why didn't I just attach into that pod? You never know. So uh, there's a difference between attach and shell. What you probably want to do is shell, which is S. Well, then what's K-9s. the attach then? Uh, it's a, It actually runs kubectl attach, not kubectl exec. Shell is equivalent to exec. Kubectl attach, I don't know what that does. It attaches, oh, Cupidal attach attaches to the main process that's running. So maybe if you wanted to debug uh, or. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah, they do. Because they, they don't the, show you that. They like, it never showed me she- to shell. It was just like, if you. It's you there. Know, the it's only hidden. option it showed me was the attach. I and think so it I assumed that them. that's what they were, that they meant. Well, it only showed like thing. three or four things. And I just assumed that, that they were showing me attach. As like, hey, if you want to get into this pod, then you can attach to it. Yeah, look, hey, next so, time it's like there's like eight and it's like the second to last one. You might need to expand your window. So I'll pitch in my vote for for a plus one on, on K9S as well, though, That's, because uh, so I get I get that when you have a thousand pods, which is insane, that it can be slow. But how much faster you can navigate some stuff is just amazing, right? Like, like what, what Joe was talking about typing slash and then typing in what, what you know to be a keyword that's in your pod name. It's so much easier than, you know, cube cuddle, um, get pods and then either piping it to a grep command or knowing a label to get it to like, wait a minute. If you had, you're saying that it would be faster than if you cube cuddle and you had, like the the tab completion setup. Okay, so here's the thing. Yes, if it's in the middle of it. So for instance, like let's say that your pod name is ABC dash um, QRS, right? If you are trying to do tab completion, then you need to know that it starts with ABC before you can use that tab completion. Uh-huh. If you're looking for QRS in the middle of it, you can just do slash QRS. And it'll freaking highlight them and, and filter down that list to just anything that has QRS in it, which is absolutely amazing. But if Why we're do you being know the middle of your pod names, Alan, <laughs> <laughs> let's get to but, the but heart of the real problems here. Why do you know the middle of your pod name? 
Uh, man, <laughs> prefixes look, uh, sometimes it's uh, great. Yeah, yeah, prefixes get ugly. But here's the real savings is typically your step is, and, and by all means, I am not saying that anybody that is not familiar with Cube Cuddle already, you should not go get canines. You should learn yeah, Cube Cuddle sure. so that you understand what's going on behind the scenes, just like we've always said we get. Learn the CLI before you go buy or before you go buy into any GUI tool, right? Like understand what this thing's doing behind the scenes. So that out of the way, a simple example is typically when your pods are created, they're created with some sort of random string at the end of it, right? So first you got to cube cuddle, get the pod and get the name because maybe there's a bunch of them. And you need to know where this QRS one is in the middle of it. So now you got to get the string for the name. Now you want to go get the logs for it. So now, unless you're going to, unless you just know the magic to be able to pipe this stuff together with all the dynamic um, expressions and whatnot, you're going to go get it. You're going to copy that string uh, or you're going to start typing it and tab complete it. And then you're going to say cube cuddle logs and then go get those logs with K9S. You could literally do slash QRS. It'll bring up the pod. You can hit enter on it twice and you'll have the logs like, that is such a time savings that it's it's worth its weight in gold for me, right? And and the other day after Joe had showed it to me, I was like, okay, sold. I get in there and I look at the logs and it says, hey, end of stream. And I'm like, dude, this thing's broken. He's like, oh no, no, oh, yeah. it's it's streaming the log. You need to tell it to show all logs, or you need to tell it to show certain parts of it. So, like, you can almost do like a less command through the logs interactively in the thing. So it's, uh, I'm telling you, man, like. After he showed but, me the few little things, I was sold. What about lens though? Because we talked about that too, right? So yeah, for me lens, it was slow, but it didn't have the fast filter ability. So it it looks and feels very similar, but the slowness is more apparent in lens to me because I didn't have those fast kind of chic, short shortcuts. So I have a different I, I, take on it. I have a different take. I like lens. Don't get me wrong. I think it's really nice. It's, you know, the IDE way of going about it. But I really do like anything that allows me to not have to take my hands off the keyboard, right? And that's what K9s allows me to do is I can literally use up and down keys and enter and a few shortcuts on the keyboard to do what I need to do. And Lens is a bunch of clicking around on menus and and, and things like that. And so K9s just feels like a more efficient way to get to things that I know I want to get to. Whereas Lens is beautifully done, but it's a lot more, it's a lot more windowy type things, which yeah, it's weird. As I've gotten older, I like that less. I mean, maybe with all the, uh, I mean, the, 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 the tabs that I have opened up, I mean, you've seen how I need my own dedicated i9 just to run Chrome. And so maybe it's like my bad luck of, uh, you know, what I'm already doing and coupled with the clusters that I'm having, I'm connecting to and why, you know, my performance, the performance issues have plagued me with canines. But the most exciting thing to me about using canines is the discovery of Popeye because that thing is so super cool. And I don't think that it's really been given enough justice so far in this conversation. Because what you can do is like as you can do this in your running cluster, right? And I mean, it's a tool. It's a command line tool. You can use it uh, independent of canines. But, uh, you know, Joe and I happen to discover it through canines. But like when you connect to it and you run it, it can say like, oh, hey, uh, like 
it'll give you a listing and it'll say like, hey, this pod doesn't have any uh, limits defined or, uh, hey, you're using, um, you know, you're referencing a role binding that does, that's not defined anywhere or, uh, you know, hey, here's an unnamed port uh, defined in this pod. Like it'll give you like all these great little warnings, things that like they mm-hmm. might not be an issue yet, but you should probably go ahead and make note of to correct in the future. You, you, you know script. what I love? <laughs> oh, uh, interesting. You know what I love? You can't here? script what? Canines? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why you would go back to KubeCutter. Yeah, it's an interactive <laughs> UI tool. It, it's a CLI UI tool, right? Which is which is fine. You know what I think is really awesome is this may be the longest tip of the week ever. <laughs> ever. And it was yeah. mine. What's up? Yeah. What's right? up? We could have done a whole episode on canines. Yeah. Seriously, it's good. All right. Well, uh, I think with that, we will head into Alan's 15 tip of, tips of the week. I do not understand how I'm seeing people navigate this document when my internet is still down. Oh, my internet came back up. How about that? I, that was freaking me out. All right. So um, apparently they fixed the poll that somebody ran into down the road. Um, all right. So. Mine is something I stumbled on recently because I don't know if you've ever gone into Python. So uh, Joe has willingly decided to go down the Python road. I was thrust into it, which was fine. Like I had no issue with it. But one of the things I found was a lot of times just to test out to see if anything would work, I would shell into a pod, right? Or into a container in a pod and then run the Python command, which would open up the REPL so that I could start typing in some Python stuff, right? Well, the things that drove me crazy is there was like no tab completion. There was, it was not pretty at all, right? Like it's just typing out code and hoping, hoping you typed it properly and and life was good, which was fine. I mean, it worked, but I saw somewhere where I think I was trying to figure out what modules were installed in Python and people were like, oh, just use IPython and then you can do tab completion. And I was like, Huh? <laughs> so, so apt get install IPython easy enough on Ubuntu. Uh, and I'm sure there's other ways in Mac or whatever else, but here's the beauty is what I put in there is, or the way I use it is for an interactive shell. And it's really nice. It gives you, um, highlighting code, highlighting all that kind of stuff. And it gives you tab completion. So if you say import, you know, something hit tab, it'll tell you, Hey, what, what do you want to import? Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, like really easy, really nicely done. And also when you hit tab, you can use the arrow keys to navigate up and down and hit enter and it'll automatically type it in for you. So really good. But if you go to ipython.org, you'll see it's also way more than just that. It's a kernel for Jupyter. Uh, it has support for interactive data visualization and GUI toolkits. Didn't know this. Haven't even seen it before. Flexible embeddable interpreters to load into your own projects. That sounds really cool and easy to use high performance tools for parallel computing. So this thing is way more than what I even thought it was. And I was already in love with it. So I need to dig into it a little bit further. I've recommended it to a few people, but I promise you if you ever, you know, use the Python command to go in and start running commands, this will make you way more productive in that world. Like it, it's, 
I compare it to like VI versus just regular, you know, navigating the files inside Bash or something. Like it's it's like that level of power over the top of it. So that's my tip of the week. If you already have Python, you can pip install IPython. Ooh, nice. Didn't even think about that. I just did it. So uh, I have one tip that uh, Mike RG, which Mike RG gave me the the last joke that I mentioned here. I forgot to credit that. Um, but, you know, we had the game jam coming up and I can't believe that Jay-Z didn't pick up on this. But Mike RG gave us this tip for um, with the game jam coming up. If you have trouble uh, or want help creating a map for your game, then you can use the dungeon map doodler to create your map. That looks so, really cool too. Really cool style. Doesn't it? It's pretty. So, yeah. dun- so dungeonmapdoodler.com and I'll have a link to this. Uh, but yeah, you can go in there and you could you go to slash draw and you can start drawing out a map. And there's some pretty, you know, uh, he, he showed, he shared a picture of one of the examples that was like pretty detailed, you know, for the map. I guess this would be more, um, the example they gave was more the roguelike style. It's really good. Yeah. And it's, um, it reminds me, the interface reminds me of like old, like Mac, like Apple IIe kind of stuff. Yes, it does. Yeah, I mean, everything it's about is just really nice. And uh, it's got free draw, too, so it's not just like, you know, I mean, there is a grid, but it's, you're not tied to it if you don't want to. So you can make look really fresh-looking maps in, like, no time. So if you have a D&D campaign or maybe a game you want to make a map for, like, this is a cool way to do it. It's just fun. It's really cool. This I don't was, know if you've actually, like, tried it, but, like, you just click and drag around, and it automatically starts connecting the blocks together. Yeah. Slick, right? This is yeah. really well done. Isn't it? Um, all right. Yeah, get so, excited for that game jam, right? What's up? Yeah, right. Good. <laughs> now you're super excited about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of, because like a lot of people would use this for learning, right? So, <clears throat> uh, a friend of mine wants to learn about, you know, programming and wants to start with like learning loop structures and asked how long it would take to understand. And I told her she'll be studying it for a while. Mike or G? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that, was, that was excellent. That one was actually a tweet that uh, Super Good Dave shared with me. Nice, Super Good Dave. Yep, yep. It had to be one of the two. Um, that was good. <laughs> I thought you might like that. Um, yeah. Okay. So my other tip of the week, though, is: Do you remember, Alan? Um, you had a tip, and I want to say it was maybe at the beginning of this year, or sometime around there. Um, that was like a, uh, it was a, it was a, an authenticator app made by Microsoft. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. And, I still use it. And I remember at the time, like your, your reason for supporting it was because, uh, or, or, or even looking for it, I should say, was because you wanted an authenticator app where you could, um, like share the, the, codes among devices and whatever so it would be like easy to like set up a new device right i think I'm yeah and it only ended up being about 50 percent true but yes you could log into 
five Android devices with the same account and you would have all your MFA tokens. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So I think that was episode 124. I think it was the Microsoft Authenticator. Yeah. It was, it was my, it was episode 124, uh, at, uh, January 20th of this year um, that it was the Microsoft authenticator app. So I got a new phone and I had this, this thought that occurred to me and I was like, you know, I don't understand why, like why this is such a big deal. Right. Because if I can, because I remember at the time, like I, I didn't like the idea of the Microsoft Authenticator one because it was like, oh, hey, you like log in with some credential, and then like uh, because you've saved it there, like it's synchronized into this other one. And I was like, wait a minute, that means that like somehow you're trusting that they're storing this stuff securely to associate it to your profile, and that's how it's getting from one device to the next. And I remember we were talking at the time, you are like, well, I'm sure they're using like secure blob storage, blah, 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 blah. It's encrypted at rest, I'm sure, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that's a lot of I'm sure's, and I can't trust it. And I'm sticking with my old faithful Google Authenticator app because the Google Authenticator app doesn't do any of that. But then I was thinking, and I'm like, man, I really don't understand why this is such a big deal. Like you have to scan a QR code from, uh, the, from, from a site to even, you know, get the code on your device. Why can't I just say in one phone, like, Hey, uh, generated a QR code for this one that I could scan with my other phone. And then boom, there it is. Right. Like I could just easily transfer it from one to the other. So, so I like randomly had that idea and as I was setting up my new phone, I noticed that like I had a new version of the Google Authenticator app on the new phone. I'm like, oh, that's weird because I didn't have it on the old phone. And the new version of the Google Authenticator app, you can export your uh, uh, codes. And Google had a much better way of doing it than what I was originally thinking. Cause I was in my idea, I was like, Hey, what if you just did it one by one? They have it to where when you click on export, you can select all of the codes you want to export and it'll generate a single QR code for that one. You scan it with the new phone it, and it'll require uh, you to use like, um, yeah, I'm on an iPhone, so I had Face ID. So it would require that I use Face ID to authenticate before it would do it, right? Then you scan that QR code with the new phone. You hit all of them in one shot. It's beautiful. A trust no one solution to being able to reuse the same uh, codes to to easily migrate your... Um, your authenticator codes from one device to the next. I'm such a beautiful that. solution. I like that a lot. So, so beautiful. Such a beautiful solution. And apparently, like, the timing couldn't have been any uh, better, too, because it, um, according to, it, it's weird, because I, I was looking at some of the stories for it, and some of the, the stories, like, it broke news last week, but yet in the, uh, iOS app store, it told me that on my device, it said that it had only come out on Monday. And that's why oh. on one device, cause I was setting this up on Monday. And that's why on the new device, I had the new version of the authenticator app. And on the old 
device. I had the old version yet because it hadn't yet upgraded until I went and hunted for it specifically. And uh, that's how new this feature was. Like I just literally had the most perfect timing <laughs> of when I decided to set up the new device. That's the most useful feature of that application that has ever been made. Now I'm curious because you say it was 50% on the Microsoft Authenticator, and I'm curious to hear and learn what you mean by that. So what I found out is the whole reason that I had suggested that thing back in the day was because you could log into your account, whether it was a live or an Outlook or whatever, right? Hotmail, whatever your account was with the Microsoft, you know, authentication. And my hope was, okay, well, I can just move my MFA tokens from one phone to another. Turns out it's only within the same ecosystem. So you couldn't log into iOS if you were coming from an Android phone and it pick them up. You couldn't go from iOS to Android, Android to iOS or Windows phone to any of them. It had to be in the same ecosystem. And so it made it useless for what I had suggested it for in the first place because I was going from Android to iOS. And so I still had to go in and manually set everything up anyways, which really irked me. So, hmm. yeah, this this feature that you're talking about right now, assuming that they've baked that same feature into Android and iOS's versions of the Google Authenticator app, that's fantastic because that truly is, like you said, trust no one. And two, if all they're doing is generating a new QR code, in theory, that same thing should work everywhere, right? Like that that yep. shouldn't be OS specific. That should be an agnostic feature. So, yeah, I think that sounds amazing and would probably be a way to push me back over to that particular authenticator. I, I, I was so glad I never left it. And now I'm so staying with it forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it sucked before. It sucked before Monday, though. <laughs> Um, we will beg to differ. <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like the way to say that is it was, it sucked the exact same amount that the Microsoft authenticator one sucked when you were like going from one platform to the next. If one platform to the next. Yes. But if you stayed on the same platform, like it, like for instance, where it was really useful is if you had an iPhone and an iPad. Perfect. Beautiful. You didn't have to do anything special, right? You just logged into it and you had the stuff. Or if you were on Android and you're going from one Android phone to another, perfect, fine. But it was that whole change in ecosystems that was like, okay, come on, really? You guys couldn't have done this? Like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, yeah, I agreed. I think uh, this this other approach, I actually like it better. All right. Well, uh, you know, we'll have more coming out. Uh, you know, I guess, uh, by the time this comes out, we'll be getting ready for, uh, our game January, uh, by the time this episode comes out. So yeah, we'll be, uh, fully game jammed up. You said that wrong. Did I? <laughs> yeah. Jay-Z, you Feels good though, right? It? Feels right. Yeah, it's uh, January is our upcoming uh, coding blocks, our first ever game jam uh, to come up this uh, January uh, 21st to the 24th. No, no, no. How no, did no. I say that you wrong? You guys were saying like January or something before. It was like January. Yeah, there we go. You said it wrong. Yes. Yeah, the coding blocks. 
game January. There we go. You can sign there up right now. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your uh, favorite podcast app. Uh, maybe it's Audible. I don't know. And if it is, you know what? Maybe leave a review. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Hey, why not? You're already there. Uh, it'll make you feel good. It makes us feel good. It's a win-win. Uh, it's Christmas time. Give a little. Um, <laughs> right. Otherwise, uh, maybe you want to find some other place to leave a review. So you can go to www.codingblocks.net slash review where you used to be able to find helpful links to other places. Now it's really just iTunes. It's really just iTunes. Uh, that's excellent. <laughs> hey. And while you're up there at codingblocks.net, you can check out our show notes, examples, <laughs> discussions, and more. And make sure you send your feedback, questions, and rants to our Slack channel, which is codingblocks.net slash Slack. You know, and if you want some Twitters, we got some Twitters. Uh, you can go over to the, the website, codingblocks.net, and uh, click around on the, those top links there. And you can find links to all sorts of, uh, you know, .coms and .nets and other social things, like like all the Twitters. We got them. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>